Quantum Questions. I have the greatest pleasure of introducing you to Advaita Nanda today. He's a teacher, a guide, and a blessing. He's always innovating and pioneering while acting as a good shepherd to many of us. He leads by example with precision in all things, precision in his words, precision in his deeds. And today, for those of us blessed with an open mind and with sensitive ears, you can often find whole worlds within a single word that he shares with us. So everybody with an open heart and a big welcome, Advaita Nanda. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. Thank you very much. And thank you uh, to Lucy and Sam, together with you for organizing these uh, series, which I find very useful to give people in these times uh, a hope. I, um, I prepared today this um, subject, Thriving in a Time of Crisis, which um, interestingly doesn't refer to these times. Many, many times uh, people were asking me these days, oh, so you refer to this uh, crisis of COVID or something. And I am telling them, listen, these ideas I wrote 20 years ago. So it's, it's not something that is for today, but you will see that is um, the today's situation apply perfectly. That's not a coincidence, of course. So um, <clears throat> I would uh, I would start today with uh, a saying that some of you heard me saying it many times, but I still find it so relevant. It goes like this: the way you see the problem is the answer is the essence of the problem. And um, today, of course, um, we are searching for an exit from the crisis, something that take us out of this very difficult situation. And uh, if you look around carefully um, with um, very little preparation, you, you will see that uh, what we have seen until now is uh, just the beginning. And of course, uh, thinking of thriving in uh, a time of crisis seems to be almost obscene. Ma the immense majority of people today, they, they are happy to survive this crisis. They have this um, attitude of uh, locking down, literally locking down and waiting for the wave, the crisis to pass. I think this is a very big mistake because this uh, situation we are into today with an understanding of it and with certain practices can be transformed into a reason for thriving and a reason for actually moving forward with accelerated um, with an accelerated rhythm or with an increased speed constantly increasing speed which as we know is acceleration so i will um, I'll go through some ideas uh, today about uh, how to approach this situation, how to approach the current uh, situation in our life, in the world, because as you will see, it applies very well. And then you will recognize certain patterns. And in the end, I will draw some conclusions, practical conclusions for each of us. 
Today, we say we face a crisis, but in reality, even that statement is not true. We're not facing it. We're actually running away from it. And when you run away from something, you are with the back uh, towards it. In the ancient time, this was illustrated, for instance, in the Spartan society, it was a great shame to come back from a fight being wound wounded in the back. Because how can the enemy wound you in the back unless you are not facing the enemy? So therefore, uh, they, they knew already that you were trying to run away. Today, we're not facing a crisis. Today, we are running or try to run away for the, from the crisis. We turn our back or eventually we are sideways towards the crisis. Either way, it's a position that is preventing us from fully using this extraordinary uh, opportunity of learning that is a crisis. Another observation here that is very useful is the fact that this is a generalized problem. And a generalized problem, if you look uh, carefully, is always a problem of system, a way you look upon the system and a way we look upon what is a crisis, because we see today a crisis of energy, a crisis of morality, a crisis of politics, a crisis of identity, and I can keep going like this with all kind of crises that we are facing today. And of course, if you step back a little bit and uh, uh, try to uh, look um, the crisis in the eye, you'll realize this is in fact uh, something generalized inside, inside of our being. In order to thrive in times of such a generalized problem, the first step is to look into it carefully, lucidly, and for that you need some skills as well. On the other hand, a crisis is a transformation that cannot be delayed anymore is an unavoidable lesson. And of course, you would say, wait a second, this uh, is generated by um, a virus. So what is this having to do with me? Actually, a lot has to do with each of us, because in reality, we interpret, we, uh, we react to different exterior situations. And that is, in fact, what is affecting us. I can tell you something very interesting. In the last 25 years, I was constantly in a kind of um, permanent run from one lecture, from one conference to another, from one place to another. Uh, I didn't have three nights spending in the same bed as my wife Adina was putting it. It's like, we are globetrotters. We, we go so much. And very often I was silently praying, hoping this to stop a little bit. And then it stopped, <laughs> miraculously stopped. And I spent months in one place, enjoying crystallizing different practices, different uh, thoughts that I have, finishing writing certain things. So actually, this was an amazing opportunity. But of course, it was like that because I looked upon it from that perspective. I didn't run in the house like a tiger in the cage trying to escape. Actually, I was blessed 
by the fact that I don't need to go out. And actually, I was even praised for not going out. So what I'm saying is this, that somehow the crisis is in a way arriving in our life as a lesson that is becoming unavoidable. That is a lesson that we can't uh, delay anymore because um, in a way we ran out of avoiding options. This is the reason why it's very important to, as a practical element, to look not in the generalized crisis that we see outside. Look inside. What is your problem there? What is your crisis there? Are you scared of your financial security? Maybe you need to define or redefine what is security in your life. Are you scared of what the society does? Maybe it's time to look into what you expect from society. Are you scared of your health? Maybe it's time to look into immunity. And what does it mean, immunity? Because I can tell you as a fact that you can trigger self-healing and immunity powers that are way beyond even what we imagine today possible. And in this way, you can improve your defense so much that you cannot be uh, infected in any other ways, irrespective to vaccine or not, to uh, traveling or not, and so on. So all these elements, they represent opportunities to reconsider certain aspects of our life. And each of us react to the general situation of crisis in a specific way that is teaching us or indicate us what we need to learn in this situation. And that's the uh, one, not the only, but one of the very important steps in preparing to thrive in times of a crisis. Another element that is very important here in this uh, introduction is that in a crisis, in times of crisis, it seems that our, let's say, foreseeing capacity, our capacity to look into the future, so to speak, is diminishing a lot. A crisis is usually a time of confusion, is a time where we can't see so much. People are saying today, when you say, let's meet in May, maybe we can meet in May, and everybody's saying, well, let's see what will happen. I can't even buy plane tickets now because yeah, may seem to be uh, very far away. I remember almost a year ago, I had the whole year laid down. I have the plane tickets, uh, train tickets, anything already bought and planned one year ahead and sometimes even more than a year ahead. Now we cannot plan one week ahead. And it's proving exactly this uh, point, which Actually, when I wrote it first time, uh, there was no such uh, situation so spectacularly proving this point. But there is a meaning, there is a profound meaning in this situation. People are scared of this situation. They say, I feel so insecure because I don't know what will happen tomorrow. But not knowing what will happen tomorrow in reality is the condition to transform the tomorrow. If you already know what happens tomorrow, you already plan the tomorrow in a way that looks like yesterday. So for this reason, if you want to transform tomorrow for good, the first unpleasant condition is you will never know what is tomorrow. 
the first thing that will be taken away from us is the capacity to project an expectation about tomorrow. Once we can, we don't project something upon tomorrow, we're free to transform it in ways that uh, actually we might even know, but we don't succeed. So that's the reason why this situation where you can't foresee the future is actually beneficial because you can, Im we, you can implement a transforming action. You can start new ways of seeing yourself. You can learn new capacities, new, uh, new skills in the time when you, there is no foreseeable future. Perhaps you get out of a crisis having a totally different option as a job. And that is very good because then you realize, actually, I was not very happy with what I did before. Now you have a chance. But if you... Uh, if you continuously project your expectations, uh, expectations which are built from your traumas and your, your uh, good experiences or bad experiences, definitely limiting experiences from the past to the future, you will never get out of this, um, of this loop. That's why in a crisis, which is a time of transformation, one of the things that is taken away from us in order to give us a chance to transform is the capacity to see in the future. Not only to see in the future, but to, to program the future according to our fears, our uh, pre-imprinted expectations and so on. Therefore, in times of the crisis, it's very important to invest all your resources in updating your being, update your being, not your status. Don't invest much attention in your position in the society. Don't invest too much in your position in your family. Don't invest all these things. They might shift tomorrow dramatically and definitely they shift now. But if you update yourself, your values, your capacity to use your brain, your capacity to use your heart, your capacity to focus, your capacity to understand your emotions and to redirect your emotions into positive aspects, all these elements will count extraordinarily much for a future. So therefore, in time of crisis, you, you take all your resources and some people were asking me, you mean all the money, if necessary, but you have other more valuable resources such as time. We were given a gift, a sabbatic year. <laughs> Maybe there will be more years. I heard uh, some reports from some friends which are in high positions that the plan is that the crisis will continue on and off until uh, end of 2023. I'm not saying it will be true, but I'm just saying it might be three, four years of sabbatic. But sabbatic, as you know, is a time when you are given a meaningful break, not a meaningless break in which you run around like a headless chicken, not knowing what to do with your life. No, on the contrary, you take all your resources, time, space, values that you believe in, and you update them because that's the time. There is no better time for transformation inside as such a time. Therefore, in this way, we can say that we create our future by becoming its citizens. 
improving our skills in such times, we reposition ourselves in what? In the future society. <clears throat> Therefore, what we can learn now is um, very well reflected in what we, how we react to what the society is doing today. It is true, we, there is a troubled society morally, there is lots of, now we redefine terms, we redefine concepts, many of this redefinition of concepts and, and uh, terms are absolutely ridiculous in certain ways. But honestly, in the last decades, we almost lost the capacity to speak. We almost lost the capacity to intelligently build all kinds of concepts. So for this reason, now leaving, um, pushing the things to absurd, to ridiculousness, we start to react, we start to wake up. That's very good. But instead of trying to blame the neighbor for having a different opinion than us, we should look inside. It's time now to realize why am I disturbed by the different opinion of my neighbor? Instead of being triggered and running after the one who triggered you, you should look for the trigger inside and eliminate that. That will be a very responsible citizen action in the world. Because once you are free of triggers, then you can even help others to be free of triggers and that result into this, um, let's say, um, future society of which you now belong. Within a crisis, therefore, it seems, and many people are complaining about that, not only there is no foreseeable future, but it's also, it seems like we ran out of control. We ran out of, uh, of possibility to control our own options. Again, it's a deep meaning of that. You see, our controls are designed in such way to maintain our limitations. Our control uh, towards our life, our options in our life, they tend to maintain our status quo with good things, no doubt, but also with the flaws. And when you try to address a certain flaw, you cannot compartmentalize and that is one of the fundamental mistakes that we have Im embedded in our education today, unfortunately, exaggeratedly, this idea of uh, compartmentalizing life, like uh, becoming professional, don't carry the professional life home, don't carry the home life into your profession, which is wrong, is building a schizoid um, consciousness, a schizoid uh, personality, which is weak. In reality, the strength inside of us comes from a unified, a balanced and unified consciousness. But of course, that kind of balance can be obtained through certain practices. It doesn't come by itself. And that is where, again, this time is invaluable from this perspective because it gives you the chance to prepare the tools so that you can have that unified uh, attitude, unified um, consciousness. Now, of course, we need to reconsider our position and the forces that animate inner processes. Because in this way, in times like this, 
we are becoming challenged by different aspects of our uh, society and um, in a certain um, way the reaction that we have is the problem that we should uh, as i mentioned also before that we should be more concerned now of course this kind of uh, transformation transforming our reaction like for instance learning the power of forgiveness learning to have discernment in order to discern between uh, certain attitudes and our reactions learning to know ourselves emotionally especially so that we don't overinflate overreact on the contrary that we can um we can um be a factor of rebalancing that we have the power to look into alternative opinions instead of comfortably mediocrely embracing one opinion which conveniently give us a certain kind of relative peace so all these are let's say all these skills are the result of a certain um of a certain attitude shift that is based on skills that we gain. Now, of course, um, all this leads to a kind of a conclusion. A crisis is an urgent call for real transformation. Solving the crisis is possible only by eliminating its fundamental cause which is a certain form of chronic ignorance. Certain things we have ignored for a very long time, now they are coming at the surface. You see, many years ago, I started to say many, relatively to human life, yes. Um, I started to say that the illiteracy in terms of history, in terms of geography, in terms of uh, science that we face today will lead to an explosion of all kinds of ideologies today. And this is what we see. We see people trying to cancel history, trying to cancel mathematics, trying to cancel literature for reasons that are totally, according to dictionary definition, imbecilic. Now, of course, that kind of, um, that kind of rhetoric that you see today is the result of some chronic ignorance that we cultivated before. Before we didn't care. Now, even though we repeat history, literally, I don't have now time to, to say that, but I invite you to, to listen to a podcast that I started to, to broadcast recently. And um, you will see there, actually the last episode was exactly about crisis. So you can... Uh, you can listen to more ideas about this and um, different angles, but there are also other elements from this. And you will see testimonies from, uh, from these times when we repeat history. The point is that chronic ignorance generates our crisis today. How to solve it is possible only if we eliminate um, this kind of... Um, let's say chronic ignorance by updating ourselves, our knowledge and our capacity to handle that kind of knowledge. After a crisis, almost nothing is the same as before the crisis. This is the reason why we need to learn about how to find the essence, 
how to find ourselves. You see, one of the things that scares us the most in a situation of crisis and reason for which we try desperately, desperately, this is the, the name, we try desperately to go into a solution is the fact, a solution superficially, is the fact that nothing is as before. And we're trying to see uh, the new normal today and we're trying to get used with all kinds of things. But reality is we're not really inviting transformation in our life. And it scares us that, yes, after this, nothing will be as it was. But actually, that is not necessarily bad. If we direct consciously, instead of letting ourselves dragged by the, the masses of cattle um, that goes in a direction that is predefined for them, if we direct consciously ourselves, but for that, we need to find ourselves. If we direct this transformation consciously, indeed, after the crisis, nothing is as before, but it will be much better than before. It will be extraordinarily updated. Of course, in this respect, I want to remind you about um, a very simple, best example, which is an illness. An illness is um, um, a situation in our life which is a crisis of health. An illness can be eliminated if we eliminate the cause inside. The real cure is not necessarily in the moment when the symptoms superficially disappear. The real cure of the illness implies a transformation of our perspective that was leading us to illness. That is when we can say, I'm cured. Imagine, just to take a simple example there, if you have an illness that is generated by a bad habit, a bad habit of eating, a bad habit of resting, who knows, a combination of, of things that you're not aware of even, which is the cause of immense majority of illnesses. And then, of course, you go to doctor and they give you some pills and they eliminate the, the symptoms. But if you still have the same bad habits, soon you will go back with the same illness. And uh, actually, the quantity of pills that you have to take every time is increasing. It's good for business, uh, good for business, good for big pharma, as they call it today. And that's why they don't want to change anything in that direction, because it's a good pattern for them. You become more and more a um, loyal customer. But I don't think it's good to be a loyal customer for doctors and big pharma. I don't think you can be proud. Look at me. I'm a, such a loyal customer of big pharma. I eat more and more pills. It's not a, a good citizenship uh, sign that you are a good customer for hospitals. And in this respect, of course, the cure is to understand where was the cause of the problem, where, which are the bad habits. And as you know, habits are very tricky. But with the right amount of awareness and efforts, you can eliminate the bad habit that was leading you to the disease to the illness and once you eliminate that interestingly the disease itself is uh, eliminated so that is very important to understand in this situation 
exactly in the same way any crisis will uh, act upon us. We need to look into what is my crisis? What is my problem with this? Why am I uh, attacked or why am I um, influenced in a negative way by the current crisis? Your position in this crisis, not the general position which you see on TV. We have a health crisis on the planet. Yeah, but I don't think you don't sleep on the night because of that. People were dying on, of illness on this planet even more. <laughs> Uh, according to statistics, than before this health crisis. And we didn't lost sleep on that. But there is something that disturbed each of us in a specific way. That is the first step. Solving, therefore, the crisis is similar to a process of healing. We operate the needed transformation, transformation of habits, transformation of the way we look upon things. And once we operate successfully that transformation, the crisis is evaporating from our life, not necessarily from the whole world. No, but at least you are not anymore in a crisis. On the contrary, you got out of it improved. You got out of that by being uh, improved. Now, the danger with this kind of crisis situation that we interpret in a common way when we take it from TV, so to speak, the crisis and say, yes, we have a crisis. The we cover the lesson of me. And that is not good. The replacing the me with we, it's nice when we talk about sharing. But when we talk about learning, replacing we with uh, replacing me with we is not good. So for this reason, we need to uh, eliminate that. So to look into uh, what I need to learn here, I understand we have, a, we have a problem in the world, but what is my problem in the general problem is a totally different story. When we do this, the interesting fact is that we gradually built what I call a spiritual immunity. And of course, um, that kind of immunity means that even in similar situations later on in our life, on our path, we'll be immune. We will go through without being affected in any way, even if other people can be terribly affected. For you, is a blessing. For you, is like, wow, <laughs> I was waiting for that. Another element uh, that I want to point out, which is um, having a practical value here, the, during a crisis, especially when it's such apparently a generalized crisis, we try to stay safe. Staying safe, of course, is the enemy of progress. It's exactly, to give you a simple analogy, imagine that you are trying desperately to learn flying, but uh, your uh, wings are blocked by a very, very good parachute that you have in your back. And of course, it's a kind of a it's a kind of a conflictual situation there. You drop the parachute, you have a, a chance to unfold your wings and learn to fly. But you drop your parachute, you might also die. So for this reason, because we try to stay safe, we never learn to fly. But we learn to land in a bearable way. 
And that's what everybody's saying today. I, at least I want to, to land safe. And then I will make it up later. But in time of crisis, in time of intense storm, so to speak, you can find the eye of the storm. And when you find the eye of the storm, you can learn flying. When you learn flying, then you keep that for the rest of your life. You don't need parachute anymore. So this analogy will help you to see that in time of crisis, one need to learn to take the risk of certain steps. Now, people are, uh, of course, immediately thinking of, okay, I will look outside. What can I uh, risk? Don't look so far. Look in a mirror. Risk to transform that person you see in the mirror. That's a very high risk. You will see, actually, that freezes you from action. You will be more likely to go out in the street and scream, just like a parrot, whatever slogans they give you to scream, instead of transforming that person's view about those things that you are about to go out in the street and scream about. So therefore, in this uh, situation, the um, risk that you take in times of uh, crisis define also the rhythm of transformation inside. Another element that I want to point out is the fact that it starts from an empiric observation, which I'm sure most of you will agree when I say it, we have a frame of existence today that is adapted to our ignorance. You see, uh, we say that um, we have access to our brain capacity to maximum four or 5% conscious access to our brain capacity. That's a peculiar thing of nature. Even today, we're still wondering why did we grow such big head to carry all these kilos of uh, brain since we use 4% of it. You know how much is 4% of our brain? Extremely, extremely small. So we could have minuscule heads. We can hardly fit the, the eyes, the nose and the mouth on that head. And yet, um, it seems like it's not so useful, at least in our view, adapted to ignorance. Reality proves, reality, reality, I'm talking here, uh, science, not pseudoscience, which goes as science today. Um, <clears throat> reality shows that we can have access to much more of our brain capacity. We actually uh, are designed for operating this amazing tool that is our body to extraordinary performance. It is true that in order to access this fabulous capacity, it implies a certain sequence of exercises, perseverance, it implies to grow certain qualities. But of course, the view is limited to our ignorance. With other words, normal people, and then the definition of normal is people who don't care, don't want, don't want to bother, that's normal. Normal people have access to 4%. I personally did experiments in which we proved access to more than 30%, 40%, up to 90% of the brain capacity. And you would be shocked to see what are 
the experiences you can have when you improve even to double the access to your brain capacity in terms of lucidity, in terms of happiness, in terms of clarity, in terms of decision, in terms of power of action, and so on. So what I'm saying here is the fact that we do have a kind of um, accepted ignorance. We look upon things already designed for normality, meaning under mediocrity, presuming that there is no transformation. On the other hand, studies about our structure, even our physiology, not to mention our psychomental structure, are proving without any doubt that we are designed, don't ask by who, ask yourself, who designed us like that? We are designed for continuous expansion of our life experiences. Without the words, we are the happiest, we function the best when we expand our experiences. What does it mean? Improvement, because it's another element that was discovered recently. It was known in ancient time. It was known as the principle of consciousness validated today by modern research, which is showing that the moment we expand, learning a new language, learning to walk, learning to run, learning a new skill and so on, all these things are harmonizing our system. They make us healthier, more uh, optimized in terms of starting from hormonal balance to all the other aspects of happiness and balance and health in our life. In other words, we are designed to grow. The moment we cease learning, the moment we cease evolving, we start to lose meaning of life and therefore we enter what? A crisis that is meant to put us back on track of this constant evolving and learning. So this is a fact. I mean, we can also ignore it, and therefore, crisis will try to remind us. Some people are very, very successfully ignoring that after a certain uh, after a certain time. Therefore, they stop learning. They learn very little, and um, because of that, we even talk today about what is called the post-schooling syndrome. And um, the post-schooling syndrome is showing that people drop in the rhythm of learning immediately after schooling dramatically. I know many of us are still having the impression, no, no, I'm, I keep learning. But quantitatively, we learn very little compared with the first years of our life. Now, there is a clear correspondence between the happiness of the childhood and the, rit the rhythm of learning. There is a, there is a direct connection. We, we drop the learning process, the learning curve, and in the same time, we become some sorrow uh, citizens who are always disgruntled by their own life. And of course, for exterior conditions. Now, what I'm saying here is that this post-schooling syndrome is generalized today and can be removed by what? By starting or restarting to grow inside. Because some people say, well, what do you mean? Well, you will keep growing your body, your bones, your flesh. Not necessarily, even though some parts, honestly, you might want to grow, to grow a little more. To give you a hint, think the man 
and men know what I'm talking about. Um, <clears throat> also women know what I'm talking about. And so sometimes you need to grow some things or sometimes uh, you can reduce certain things, but reshaping yourself also inside the inner landscape or oh, there is, we are like the discoverers of a new world that we explore 0.5% of it. All the rest is virgin. We, we have no idea what's going on there. So therefore, there is a lot to do. There is a lot to do in a lockdown. Therefore, you know yourself when you resume the growth in, in the time of crisis. And in this way, the outer crisis becomes the means of inner learning. The first step is to start to know yourself. To know yourself, you can even practice the self-inquiry, the who am I self-inquiry. Maybe you heard about it. If you didn't, your wonderful hosts today are organizing this uh, who am I series, which are very beautiful and I strongly recommend as a getting started. Know yourself, focus on your own being, but this is not an egoistic act of becoming obsessed with me, me, me all the time, but simply to silently start to know yourself and grow yourself. And on the other hand, improve your abilities. Through practice, you can improve your capacity starting from capacity to focus your attention at will, capacity to, to redirect your emotions into something that you aspire, and so on. There are lots of things that you can learn about your, yourself and start to um, improve the way you are using this amazing tool, which is yourself, this body and all its uh, uh, systems, which it comes in already uh, with it. In this way, you remove the, 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 um, this uh, syndrome of post-schooling. On the contrary, you find yourself back in the um, shoes of being a student, in the shoes of being an explorer, in the middle of this uh, storm that is uh, around you, which will not affect you anymore. Because very interestingly, you'll notice something uh, in, in the whole universe is valid this. When you are busy learning, the whole universe helps and protects. Schools are universally protected. If a child sits there reading or studying something, the adults feel to make silence. Let him study. It's almost like a sacred duty. Remember that. You start, you resume learning, the universe will make a bubble of good vibrations around you because now you are a good child. You are learning. Why do you start to run like a goat, like a crazy goat around? Oops, you hit some walls. Today's crisis, therefore, we can say um, it's uh, a cry of being saved from our own, main, um, for our own, own mediocrity. This is the reason why um, one thing that it has to come into our attention is what I call today crisis mentality. It's actually the, the topic of this uh, episode, which we just published last week of the podcast, crisis mentality. And uh, I will not develop it here, but listen there, it's, uh, 
it's 45 minutes of uh, dense uh, observations about this crisis mentality. We create, in short, we create a kind of um, need for crisis because this is keeping us busy. We become drama queens and kings today in a unprecedented scales. We have today countries that are drama queens. They are always in the middle of a crisis. They are always threatened by enemies. They are always, and I don't give names because um, they will feel um, obliged to respond. But anyway, you see that as a objective uh, observer around, I'm sure you can give examples of that. We have a crisis mentality from our own life where we exaggerate a lot of things to public life and to even generalized crisis today. We have a crisis mentality because we have an explosion mentality. We don't know how to evolve, but only by exploding something, it creates an expansion. It creates a force of expansion. We harvest that, that uh, force. And then again, it's a contraction. And then again, an explosion. That's the engines we have in every car today. It's called explosion engine. All technology, the, the economy today is based on explosion, contraction, explosion, contraction, as you can see, crisis mentality. But also we have it at a psychomental level in the same way. It's a, it's a category in our consciousness today that comes to the surface and we need to learn to deal with this. We need to eliminate the crisis mentality from our life because otherwise we are hiding behind this justification. Don't you see? I'm in a crisis here. Well, actually, <laughs> you're exaggerating. It's not that big of a crisis. It's actually solvable easy. It's a lesson you need to learn, but you refuse. And just like a spoiled child, you bang your feet on the ground and you say, I don't want this. I don't want this. And of course, it becomes apparently a crisis. So this is overlapping with all the things that I'm saying, this mentality that we have today. Overlapping <laughs> the crisis mentality. So you see how many things, the layers we need to acknowledge and take care of is what I call the extroverted attitude. Extroversion is one of the modern disease that is never spoken about almost at all but is affecting the immense majority of people. If we can talk about a real pandemic today, it's extroversion. We are totally extroverted today. People cannot acknowledge themselves, but only in connection to something outside. If you tell to a person, your neighbors think you are unhappy, people believe that and they say, oh, really, I am unhappy? Because the neighbors say that, the media say that, that's it. Of course you are unhappy. They say that. Even if you, if you inside, you have no reason, you are actually happy. Even though this example might sound ridiculous, it is the situation of the immense majority of us today. It's a modern disease and it cannot, um, it cannot be solved but only by learning to consciously, systematically, repeatedly bringing the attention inward. That is the essence of any, what is called today, spiritual practice. You practice yoga, 
that's how you practice yoga correctly, by acknowledging what happens inside of you. Uh, if you practice meditation, acknowledging what is the process that happens in your consciousness, any form of practice correctly done should bring your attention, should bring your awareness from outside, from being totally crucified <laughs> on the uh, sensorial perceptions and bring it inside. Now, when we do that, of course, um, we start to find about ourselves. We find the core of our existence, a very important starting point of transformation, real transformation, thus real uh, rhythm of learning, thus eliminating any crisis before it starts. Another element that I want to point out here um, before the conclusion one of the big obstacles that we're facing today is the illusion of an unconscious safetyness. We have this illusion that we can solve the problems while we are asleep eventually. We hope that somebody will come, eventually some government or something that will come and solve our problems while we are asleep. That's why we developed anesthetics. You know, before in ancient China, they knew anesthetics. They knew these uh, substances, natural substances that can numb the effect of a certain intervention on people. But they didn't use it because they realized if, if um, of course, in some extremes, they might be useful, but I'm just saying generally, if you're not aware of the pain you caused to yourself because you are not attentive, because you are not uh, uh, intelligent enough or whatever, if you're not aware of the pain, you will do it the you'll do the same. So for this reason, they, um, they were eliminating, they, in most of the cases when it's possible, the anesthetic. With other words, feel the consequence of what you did. Yeah. Now we try desperately unconscious safetyness. Take care of my problem. Wake me up when the problem is solved. The hope for unconscious safetyness is the reason why we extrovert power today. This is the reason why people are given exaggerated much power. And as you know, power corrupt a weak character. And that's why we end up constantly, no matter how we try to shape the society, the human society, we end up with corrupt leaders. Because corrupt leaders are not a special category. They are not having some special gene or something. They are just normal people given more power they can handle. That's a corrupt leadership. And how do we obtain that? By exaggerately exteriorizing power in the hope that you can solve my problem. There is no such thing that somebody else can solve your problem. So that's why together with the extroverted attention, it comes this hope for an unconscious safetyness. This is the reason why today we implement very little of our understandings. Our understandings on um, uh, different, uh, even domains of science, we implement extremely little of it, almost anything. Um, just to give you an example, today we, we talk very beautifully in uh, science about um, this fabulous um, domain, which is quantum mechanics. And it, if you learn quantum mechanics, as Niels Bohr used to say, if you didn't freak out learning quantum mechanics, it means that you didn't understand quantum mechanics. 
of course, he was referring to the fact that it's so mind-blowing. It's, it's blowing all the concepts that we have in a normal, mediocre way that you'll freak out. So he was expecting that. But what I'm saying is this fact that we talk beautifully on, about these amazing things. But when it comes to how to implement those things, surprise, people implement them very little. And in this respect, I can give you an example that I've seen personally. When I was working in the Academy of Science, uh, I have a colleague who was, we were teaching also in, in, um, in university and uh, having different classes. And I have a colleague who was, um, who was very appreciated as a teacher in quantum mechanics. Beautiful. The, his classes were brilliant and students appreciate very much. So he was coming from a class where he was teaching th this beautiful lesson of re relativistic perspective in quantum mechanics, which is like pure philosophy almost, if it wasn't having such practical applications. So he was telling to the students, there is no yes or no exclusive answers. You know, every question in the universe have a yes, no, maybe answer, all this beautiful part. And then he comes and, um, um, when we're talking privately and he was complaining that he thinks his wife is cheating on him and he was saying i will go home and i will ask her are you cheating on me and i want to hear yes or no and i was shocked by this kind of dichotomy inside of the consciousness of such a person like how did you go in the class Tell to your students in such brilliant way that there is no yes or no answer in the universe. There's a maybe always, there is a possibility always open. Then you go home and you prove totally Newtonian in your approach of life saying, yeah, I'm an ignorant. I don't care of what I teach my students. And in your daily life, you implement zero of that kind of conceptualization. It's a something to think about therefore reaching to this level what i would say is that in time of crisis to thrive in time of crisis we need to invest in our personal upgrade we in this way generate an elevated state of consciousness we uplift our level of consciousness and that uh, that result and you don't have to how to say, you don't have to pump it up. Simply it results naturally in a superior perspective. And that in itself, having a superior perspective is enlarging our field of awareness. Same events will reveal more solutions than problems. Same challenges will show lots of lessons that we can learn. But that is again, the the causality in this first we upgrade ourselves and upgrading ourselves we generate a higher level of consciousness superior perspective enlarged field of awareness thus solutions very often we try to go directly to solutions normally exterior administrative solutions trying by exterior actions to solve inner problems and it proves time and again, generation after generation, that it doesn't work. What's the message in that? Well, maybe you should approach differently. <laughs> of course, 
that implies that we need to fix in this situation our relationship with transformation. Relationship with transformation in itself is uh, an issue today. We're not really friends with transformation. We actually hate transformation. We say, well, let's go transformation. But we hope when we say that, that we will eventually operate a small part of our being and all the rest stays the same. But you know, it's not possible. If you want to become that beautiful soul that is generous, your generosity will show not only when you deal with uh, certain friends, your generosity will show when you are in the office, your generosity will show when you help people which you didn't want to help initially, and you find yourself helping those people because you are generous. So what I'm saying, true transformation cannot be stopped to just one level, cannot be isolated. Transformation is integral, is actually part of an integral view upon life, or what is unjustly, in my opinion, called today, a holistic view. Many people use this expression, holistic view, but there's nothing holistic in their approach on that because they still try to isolate different processes to, to limit transformation to a certain system. Once you, once you look upon things from that perspective, you will need, you'll start to see the need for increased awareness about yourself, know thyself, and a state of courage. So awareness about yourself and courage are extremely important. Courage because what you discover when you turn the lights of awareness on, when you start to look inside of you, to your needs, to your aspirations and so on, you need courage because otherwise you open the door towards the inside, you see what is there and you slam the door and run. Run where? Outside in the world. Try to change the world better than to transform yourself. In this situation, the, the approach is to find your deep aspirations regarding your own being. For instance, what you aspire to become, what are the aspirations in terms of qualities, not to become uh, this rich or this powerful or this uh, handsome and so on. Qualities, achievements inside of your being. I have to say very often, I surprise sometimes people when they come to ask me all kinds of advices, practical advices. Everybody wants some practical advices. Nobody wants some general advice. They all want to give me some practical points there. And then when you ask, okay, just in order to help me to give you an advice, tell me what your aspirations are. And they start to list all kinds of things around themselves. So, like, listen, forget about what is around you, about yourself. What do you aspire deep inside? Illiteracy, blank, most of the time, almost not knowing anything. Well, start to look into that. It's a very important process. Then we find methods that lead us there. So we know what we aspire to, and that's an interesting process in itself. And then we find methods that lead us there. And of course, next step, we start to apply. This process uh, should be also doubled by what I call awareness of the blockages. Become aware of what prevents you from within to achieve your goals. 
Like for instance, some people say, yeah, well, I would like that. I aspire towards that, but I don't think I have enough willpower to get there. Good, put it on your list. <laughs> willpower, I need more willpower. There are exercises for that. Or I think I am afraid, put courage. It's a, the best uh, uh, defeat to fear and so on. And in this way, you map the inside of all kinds of blockages that prevent you. You might have a low esteem. You might have a low esteem masked in a superiority complex. You are very arrogant and you know everything. And that is a blockage that many people display today because the social media, uh, the excess of use of social media is creating this reverse of inferiority complex, which majority of people unfortunately have today on the background of their consciousness. And the social media is uh, making a mirroring of that into superiority complex. Now everybody thinks they know, they matter, they are super important. And of course, the truth is somewhere in between, between inferiority complex and superiority complex is you trying to exist, trying to make sense of these two extremes. So. All these elements are a part of this process of increasing the awareness of what keeps you. Then, of course, part of this process is to learn to assume responsibility for your part on all these, uh, let's say, blockages or lack of things, that lack of achievements that you have in your life. You say, I want to go there. What keeps you? Well, I, I didn't have enough opportunities. In my, I'm, I'm underprivileged, by the way. <laughs> I hear that a lot today. I'm underprivileged. For your information, this narrative of underprivileged categories of citizens is not new. It's ancient. They were talking about underprivileged citizens in the ancient time, in the ancient Rome. They were talking in the medieval time. They were talking in the communist time. They were talking in the Nazi time. And they are talking now. <laughs> <laughs> about underprivileged different categories of citizens. There are no such things. You know, you do your own, uh, your own future by your own options. And uh, of course, you can improve certain things for your citizens around, but you can improve your, the way you look upon yourself, and then you will never underprivilege anyone around you. So this... Um, Assuming responsibility for your underprivilege, so to speak. Assuming responsibility for what is happening to you is an enormously big, a quantum leap in evolution. Today, we blame too much the things that matter too little. And we almost ignore the things that matter massively. Remember about this. Restore the proportion by assuming responsibility. Why didn't I achieve that? Because actually my contribution to that achievement is also lame. Then, of course, transform your findings in this process about your own being into actions, into a transformative process. So, Take that and instead of falling into the pit of desperation, transform it into a set of actions, measures. They are methods. They are methods. And uh, that's why probably you are spending 
Sunday afternoon for that it must be something. I used to joke with the people who were attending this kind of lecture Sunday afternoon when it was real lectures, not virtual. I used to tell them, probably some of you are here because it's raining outside or who knows what kind of reasons. Now you cannot even say that because yeah, you, you are sitting home. Maybe it's not nothing good on telly or something. But anyway, fact is we are here and uh, you can transform this um, into action. Conclusion, before moving to your, uh, your questions and debate, as a conclusion, to thrive in time of crisis, there are five steps that I would synthesize from this, um, from this presentation. Step number one, heal your understanding about the crisis. And I already gave some um, directions for this process of healing because it is ill. Our understanding about the crisis today is ill in itself. Second step that, co that can go simultaneous, embrace transformation inside, the transformation that affects you, not the transformation that uh, you want to see in the world. So embrace transformation inside as a normal part of life. Transformation should be the new normal if you want. If you every day transform, look around, look, uh, sorry, look into your life back, let's say the last three months, what did you learn for real inside of you? New skills, new approaches. A child have a lot to say. Come back to that state. It's possible. Personally, I have uh, in um, a constantly updating list of things that I'm updating and learning into myself. Not things like uh, I'm learning a new language. Yeah, sometimes I do, but that's minimum. I'm learning new perspectives. I'm learning new secrets of matter and consciousness. I'm learning science of all kinds, arts, all, all kinds of things that um, are transforming my perspective. So be in that flow. Third step, find your way to transform and evolve. There are ways to transform and evolve that, that let's say are specific to each of us. Some of us would learn a lot from um, a meditative practice. Some of us will learn a lot from uh, practicing love, lovemaking and uh, ecstatic relationships. Some of us will learn very much from emotional education and so on. There are lots of ways, but there are ways that are very, they're appealing to us. Find your way. The fourth step, apply practically these methods until you get results. One of the causes I see in the, in the people who start these things, in the students that I've been been instructing and guiding in all these years I was teaching um, in um, the school that we have all these practicalities. One of the main causes for people not achieving something is because they quit before any chance for results. You cannot have results from meditative practice in two days or a weekend. People come to me and say, I tried. Did you try those things that I taught you? Yeah, yeah. When? Last weekend. <laughs> what do you mean by that? It's exactly as you put a seed in the ground, and then three days you come very unhappy and say, 
doesn't work. Nothing happened. But it's, it takes half a year before it sprouts. So wait and not wait passively. Water it, uh, give uh, the right nutrients and so on and be patient, continue. So that's why until you get the results. And the fifth step, build a larger view on your life or with other words, expand your view constantly on your life a view that contains a state of gratitude or contentment. With other words, be grateful for what you get. I'm saying an enlarged view because very often when you focus upon finding blockages, removing things, you forget to enjoy the achievements. I've seen that is one of the one of the temptations of especially people who start to work with themselves one of the temptation is to fall into a kind of a routine of war, inner war, the, the inner jihad. But come on, enjoy the achievements. Uh, you know, God created the world in seven days. It says there the text. But in six days, he was laboring intensely. And the seventh day, he stepped back and enjoyed. He appreciated that. You know, he didn't start the week immediately after saying, okay, let's do the next thing. Oh, one, one seventh, it's a very interesting proportion, is enjoyment in life. One seventh is when you step back and you say, wow, that was very nice. That was amazing. Huh? Now I have more. You see, sometimes people destroy what they built in a relationship together in a moment of disappointment. Oh, you disappoint me so much. Yes, but look at what you obtain together. You still have amazing things that you got together. You are more intimate. You are more friends. You are closer. Okay, some things are still there to work on. But when you focus too much, then you might. Uh, so that's why uh, zoom out from time to time, step back and uh, build contentment or even gratitude for what you have received, for the chance that you got. And even in a time of crisis, take a break and step back and see that actually there are a lot of opportunities you are give, uh, opportunities that you are given in this time. That was um, what I wanted to show you. If you want to know more about the quantum questions, please go to www.thequantumquestions.com.